Good morning. Well, for you. Just trying to make it so. It's close to afternoon for me, so it's good afternoon for me. Yeah, yeah. What's the weather like over there? It's like overcast and rainy here for you know we were unusual we were we were supposed to actually have rain yesterday it's been sunny and mild with actually uh one of the time um thursday thursday's trail walk was like around 78 79 degrees wow yeah and today like right now it's like early 50s yeah it, was, it's, it might be that here too and it you know it's probably going to get like early 60s at best here today it's supposed to a little bit of a cool down so gonna go hit the trail again today it'll be the uh third time in a week wow so you're breaking in some new boots breaking in the new boots they're uh they actually feel pretty good gave up on Mm -hmm. boots like a decade ago maybe more just trail running shoes now you know i i looked at trail running shoes and i'm like yeah the only thing i i actually need the ankle support Mm. so that's why i i got them yeah and I ended up getting basically uh, military tactical boots, but just the um, mid ankle boots instead of like the full, mm. the full ankle, full height ones. Yeah, they are good. They're comfortable. I mean, downhill, you know, got a little bit of a slide, so like you know, your toes are like, like jamming into the front of the toe box oh, of the. That the boot just gives stuff. me the willies right there. <laughs> I've lost my toenails twice. Uh, yeah. So, but other than that, they're they're great. They're comfortable. They've got the side zipper, which I was not sure I'm a fan of right now, but they do make it a hell of a lot easier to take your boots off. Right. Yeah. But uh, it's yeah, very no, futuristic they're, they're... when they start adding zippers. And yeah, it's like those. Have you seen those new Nike shoes where like you can just step into them and they. Yes. They yes. Like latch onto your foot. It's very, very futuristic. Anytime I look at a pair of shoes, 15,000 other pair of shoes ads pop up mm. and. You know, you know, like, ooh, try this, ooh, try that. And Creepy. Like, no, jeez. No, no. I swear, uh, um, I was texting with some friends from work, and you know, they were like, "If money were no object, where would you go? Like, what would be your your ideal place to go and travel? Like a destination type of a thing." Yeah, okay. and I was just like, "Well, you know, if if money is no object, then I'm going to go everywhere." <laughs> You know, I mean, that's all the places. Exactly. It was just, and the other guy said the same thing, um, like practically at the same time. And we're like, and he's like, no, no, you got to pick one. I'm like, well, I wanted to go. I would like to like hop from like, say, Nova Scotia on over to Iceland and Ireland and then go into Scandinavia and do those things. They're like, and so, dude, I wanted the easy answer. It was just a a simple question. You're like, I've got an itinerary. Exactly. But but the funny thing about it was is that so I like mentioned Iceland and I'm scrolling through Instagram and I had three different ads for Iceland Air. You, and you just did you type it out or did you say it? Oh no, I typed it out. Into what? Into iMessages. Oh wow. That's weird. Mm-hmm. It's a little creepy. That is. Jeez. I mean, do you have like an Alexa in your house or something? <laughs> uh we we do have we've got a uh a, a google uh-huh yeah little home home pod thing whatever the hell it's called i don't know what it's called what is the little, little google mini yeah i think that's it little, yeah and like periodically it's just like every once in a great while i'll say google are you listening to me that is not in my function and then sure enough reassuring robot jeez and then <laughs> it, 
and we'll be sitting around talking and you see the like lights pop up you know because there's like yeah. four little lights on there yeah and they'll like pop up and they should say i didn't understand the question <laughs> and then it at least either myself or one of the kids will say because we didn't ask you one yeah yeah we we have an alexa in the kitchen and well we just mainly use it for shopping list and timers that's the main two things yeah and, yeah. and just like a grocery list right not even not amazon and and it's like by the way i don't recognize your name would you like to tell me who you are so that I can? And, it, and it's like, no, and don't ever ask me that again. That's what my wife always Ex- says to it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're listening. Oh, my gosh. E- yeah. Even though they say they're not, they're yeah. listening. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I've run into that same similar thing where it's like you say something and then you, you're looking up. You don't have your ad blockers turned on and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> all of a sudden there's ads popping up for, you know some airline travel or whatever. And it's like, Oh my gosh, so creepy. Jeez. Leave me alone. So total side note here. I just like started looking at the box that my boots came in and I thought it it has both us, UK and European sizes on there. Mm -hmm. And so it's a size 14 with a UK size of 13. I thought we were both on the imperial measurement. Wouldn't I mean? Are their inches different than our inches? I don't. I don't know the answer to that. Maybe. Maybe I mean, a listener I, can tell. I mean, I totally get the uh, EU forty-seven, but we didn't. We adopt theirs. I mean, did we? Maybe the we modified some of the words out of spite from our <laughs> removed a couple of unnecessary vowels. Yeah. Or change the pronunciation on them, you know, just for to add some more controversy. Mm-hmm. Um, controversy. But, <laughs> I haven't heard that before. You've never heard controversy? No. Oh my gosh, you you like watch all these British shows and you've never heard controversy? I don't think so. Yeah, I haven't heard that. Uh, or aluminium? Yeah, definitely uh, heard that. That one drives me insane. It's aluminum. So chuffed right now. <laughs> exactly but i'm just i am now curious why is the british boot size and the american boot size that are both on imperial measurement yeah. slightly different real-time follow-up my mine are the same it's the, the uk is one size less yeah yeah you don't want to say how small your feet are too nope <laughs> I, I like how you you're like mine are size 14s and your voice went deeper and you said it a little louder. <laughs> well, what's what's worse? I mean, I now it's to the point where I really can't find anything in the store, and even worse for Brendan. You know, his feet are sixteens, um, and mm. we have to order everything. Mm-hmm. I'm we have custom to, made. <laughs> I've got a cobbler to, down the street. <laughs> we have to go to clownshoes.com. Watch you got to get him a tiny car, get him, get him a smart car, and like oh my gosh, go Shaquille O'Neal style. I think he wears like size twenty three though. So Brendan's oh, yeah, ways to go. His are insane. Thankfully, his has stopped at least for now. Uh, yeah, hopefully, no more gross spurts. They had a uh, Shaq shoe on display somewhere that we were at. I think it might have been even at the um, American History Museum, and. 
I mean, it's insane. Like to be able to like say I can put my shoe on and then grab his shoe and put it on over me and still have plenty of room. Oh yeah, you'd be swimming in there. So I, I'm sure I've told this story before, but I met Shaquille one time. It's my one of my claims to fame. In actually, not at all. But I was down in in Beverly Hills at like Jerry's Deli or someplace like that, and it was you know middle of the night. It was just rant totally random. And Shaq is there. It must have been like after a game or something. Right. And and walked like he was walking down the aisle. I was walking down the aisle towards each other, and I said, "Oh, you know," I said, "Hi." And he says, "What's up, little man?" <laughs> <laughs> you're like wah, wah, wah. That was I was good. he's not I was wrong gonna <laughs> i was gonna ask like how small did you feel <laughs> yeah. totally oh my god shook his hand enormous like what not real just didn't feel real it was like straight out of a, a movie like i felt like an avenger versus uh what's his name the you were like i'm ant-man <laughs> jeez totally crazy so yeah that's my shaquille story amazing yeah yeah big feet so it's been a it's been going on with you how's oh. the transition it's been good i i've been it's, can we talk about it yeah sure it's weird getting used to new things that's for sure uh you get so what's what's interesting to me is is hearing I think this is probably the most interesting thing because I think switching switching jobs is not that interesting. But it's the it's the outside commentary of that. So getting a lot of comments on my my LinkedIn update which um I did later than probably most people would do that right away. I didn't do it right away. So wanted to get settled in first and <laughs> you know funny funnily enough the com- we we as a company didn't even have a company page up yet. So I couldn't say where I, where I worked if it didn't exist, right? So once that got set up, I switched it over and people are commenting and, oh my God, you left and wow. Like a lot of it was, wow, you have been at HMC a long time. That This is a, this is an interesting or a big deal or, you know, some, some version of that, which I think is, is kind of interesting because it's, it's, I've noticed like, especially with like the millennial generation, they move around a lot. They move around quite often. Right. Right. And you know, my, my grandfather on the other hand worked for Procter and Gamble his whole life and retired from there. Right. So that was another model that, that we don't really follow anymore either. So it seems like the generations work at the same institution or whatever you want to call it business for less and less amount of time. Mm -hmm. And, and I think us, you know, Gen Xers are, caught in the middle of that right so so several people made the comment that oh i thought you were a lifer at hmc thought right. you were one one friend of mine a dean at a local architecture school said i thought you were going to die at your desk there <laughs> <laughs> and that that caught me by surprise because i i guess i could totally understand that i could see that from his perspective, but I never felt that way. You know, I never thought that way. So that to me was, was surprising. You know, it was, it's, well, it's funny that you say that, you know, when you like LinkedIn was like your last one that you had kind of updated. I got a text from a friend of mine who don't, doesn't even know you. I mean, they only know you through like me not, talking not about personally, you yeah. and not personally. And they're like, 
so Evan left HMC. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Random. Sure. Yes. Yes, he did. <laughs> like, how does he feel? I'm like, it, I'm sure fine. I mean, but you don't know. Him. <laughs> it's like, uh, <laughs> it's weird oh, okay. having a podcast all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people quote unquote know you or follow you on social media or on, on these different platforms. It's interesting for sure. And and some people who do take the time to comment, it's never who you think it's going to be yeah, either. But so so now you're not in an architecture firm on a daily basis, uh, and you're 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 working with architects and manufacturers and things like that. How do I mean? I know it's early, and yeah. so you you know it's all in the infancy of things. But I mean, does it? What is? Let's just say, what is the what does it feel like not to have to go in to, and I know, yeah, working from home kind of made transitions probably at this stage somewhat easier, but to, you know, not have to kind of like adhere to the deadline of a project type thing. Cause it's interesting because you made a shift, um, you know, your career and my sister, you know, had just recently done the same thing mm. and she had left, she was like, you know, this is the last day that I'm going to, you know, be seeing patients 30 years, you know, for a while, yeah, for 30 years and kind of went on to more of like, um, you know, working for uh, somebody who processes like insurance and things like that, which was one of her jobs, but it was only one of many jobs that she did. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, she had to draw blood, she had to like, you know, see patients and do all the other things and, and everything else. And so she was like, you know, for the first day and she's like, it felt so, so weird mm. to like detach from the things that you basically were like almost a muscle memory every single day for 30 years and to do something completely different. And for you, I mean, you were with HMC for what, you know, almost 20. Yeah. Yeah. It was 18 total, I think. Right. And, and like it sort of becomes somewhat of a muscle memory for like the way that you work and then to like completely do something, I won't say completely different, but it is still a pretty significantly different kind of avenue in the profession. I think my shift actually happened a few years ago. And when I when yeah. I started digital yeah. practice at HMC, that was a, the bigger shift for me. I could see that because that's when I actually went from hands-on, day-to-day project work to working on the business. So, so that's the way I distinguish between the two. Working like project work is working in the business. The digital practice was working on the business. Like it was, it was a different perspective. It was we all have to get better together. It wasn't how is my project doing today. Right. So right, two very right. different perspectives within the same company. And that was a big, bigger shift because then it was like, okay, now I'm in um, strategy mode. Now I'm in vision mode. Now I'm in creating standards mode, building a team mode. And then it really shifted into a communications role is what I felt like it was at its root or as core. It was really a communications role. It was build a consensus amongst leadership and the staff it was you know setting that direction and getting that consensus like momentum behind it um and and then constantly messaging and communicating where we're headed and what we're doing right now to get there right so making small mm -hmm. changes that added up over time to be big changes now this shift from digital practice at hmc to what's called our, our, you know, the director of this architectural community 
is very similar to that. Okay. So it's it's still about communication and it's about building consensus and it's about shifting the perspective away from why we've always done things this way that's completely broken, right? Mm, like, it's right, like take right. a step back and let's actually acknowledge that it's broken together and then here's what we're going to do to move beyond that. And so building you know, basically like creating a new path forward, which is what I felt I was doing with digital practice. It was like, we've got these really entrenched, disciplined ways of doing things, and those are very difficult to change. So what can we do to inject change so that we come out on, you know, quote unquote, the other side in a better position? That's exactly what I'm trying to do here. So I feel like it's very similar. And it's also very similar. I spoke to somebody yesterday and they're like, wow, so you're at a new company, you know, same backdrop, right? Yeah. Working from home, like it, nothing changed on that side of things, right? I still get right. up and I go to work, quote unquote, at the same time and I stare into the same screen and I <laughs> do this similar things, right? I'm, I'm figuring out strategies. I am figuring out ways to communicate those in the best way and I'm talking to people and and that's really what I spent the majority of my time doing as, you know, the director of digital practice as well. So in that way, it like, that's why I really feel like my, my shift happened a few years ago and, um, nobody noticed it then because I worked at the same company. There was a few people obviously inside who are right. Who were affected by that. And, and they, you know, when when you coming back to do the real work, the project work, stuff like that. The, so the real work, yeah, the good stuff. Um, so so it's interesting, you know, it's that that that's when the shift happened, but it wasn't acknowledged by the majority. And now the, uh, a you know, it's a material change has happened, but it's it's very similar to what I've how I've been operating for the last few years. So different, but not yeah. different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Not much. Uh, and so with this one, I mean, and really, I, we talked about it in that long episode, but but my biggest reason for this change is to make a bigger impact in the whole profession. And that's something that, you know, I'm I'm passionate about our profession. I'm not just passionate about one company or one project. I think that right. we just, we need a, a few people who are willing to you know, take a step back and take everybody forward and right, not, and right. not worry about those little things. I mean, it's, I, I want it to make it better for everybody. So that's where I feel like that this has given me that opportunity to do that. Listen to the previous, whatever episode for, for <laughs> a deeper version into that. Yeah, but I'm not sure if, I mean, yeah. I mean, we, we talked, you know, we talked a lot with, you know, about the the project and, and about what tech is all about and things like that. But I don't know if we actually really, did we get deep into like what you specifically were doing? Mm, yeah, good question. Can't remember. But I mean, it's going to be exciting. I mean, it really is. I, I, I learning about it as you were sharing information with me and then, you know, talking with Bob and, and just learning more and more about the project, you know, I, I mean, it really is exciting to see what's in the future because it's, it's not like the conversation that you guys are, 
a part of and are trying to help, you know, sort of fix. It's a conversation that every architecture firm has. It's about how to communicate with, you know, manufacturers and engineers and things like that to try to improve both, you know, the performance and everything else of like the products that you choose and but but more so just getting the right information in a timely fashion from the right people. Yeah. And and being able to, you know, do that in a way that is going to be productive in your process of working versus, you know, kind of like the old fashioned kind of broke down version where, it, you know, it takes forever to get comments or, or you know, content from manufacturers sometimes. And it, it almost sometimes feels a little too adversarial. Mm-hmm. And and to be able to like, you know, do, you know, move forward with that. I mean, it's it's going to be. I'm I'm sort of excited to see where you guys take this. I think it feels adversarial because people are bothersome, right? Like the the salesmanship that happens because that's yeah. the existing model is like nobody likes that, right? You nobody know, likes you know, walking onto a car dealership. I, I don't. I I it's like leave me alone, right? I I know more about this car than you do. Leave me alone. And yeah. and so I. I I understand where you're, why you're saying adversarial, because I think it does feel like that. It feels like a bother. And so, yeah, like, let's acknowledge that that doesn't work. <laughs> let's, well, you know, and let's fix that for both sides. I think exactly. one thing I don't want to do is say, we're just fixing this for architects because we're not like we have to do, we have to tackle the whole thing all at once. Right. Right. And right, so right. we have to make it better for both sides of the table. We have to bring architects to the table. So manufacturers will want to be there. But at the same time, the manufacturers that are there have to serve the architects the way the architects want to be served so that we create right. a relationship, right? Right. And we right. all know that having those go-to manufacturers, well, like the reason they're on our short list is because right. they do exactly that. And that's who we like working with. So do we want them all to be like that? Yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that's what we're trying to do. And And honestly, I mean, you know, we always like tailor our specs and things to those preferred people or all right fine you know we have like one or two that we really prefer and and because of the nature of the beast of you know the bidding climate for certain you know clients we've got to have the third you know or we chump out and say or approved equal knowing that we don't really want an approved equal we want this and the thing about it is is that you know as you learn you know as you build that relationship and you build that trust between more and more manufacturers one that's going to expand our knowledge and our understanding about other products that are out there, but it'll also be able to get to that kind of like the, the one stewardship that we have with our client is to find the best product at the best price to work for their best interests. And a lot of times when we kind of like stack the deck towards, you know, our favorites, I mean, we're not really doing that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's one of those, those things where it's like, well, if if people are really just in the business of getting you the information you need when you need it and it's yeah. appropriate, then why can't they just give you the equals right there? I, I would right. love to right. solve for that and just say, okay, let's let's like skip that whole searching process and just tell me who the who the one who the your viable um right, right. competition is, right? Because I'm still gonna list you as the basis of design, but man, you're if you're helping me save time by doing by giving me that information up front and not playing stupid, like mm-hmm. okay, I trust you even more now. <laughs> right. I'll tell you, there is one more step that you guys 
I feel you guys should start thinking about, and that is the communication between manufacturers and contractors. Because that is, in my opinion, one of the one of the faults to the system, because when we're picking bases of design, we're picking bases of design based off of performance and things like that. They're picking, they're going immediately into, you know, where is the alternatives so that I can get the best price and, you know, drive this thing down and make sure that I get this project and stuff. And a lot of times they'll even say, oh, that product is too expensive. I'm not even going to bother with. And they don't know because they've never really talked about it. And I've I've had so many manufacturers say, if I can just get into the room and talk with a contractor about, you know, my product versus their product or something like that, then mm. it, it will make it will make life so much easier because then, you know, I'm in a competitive market versus being just thrown out because they think I'm too expensive. And the reason I'm, you know, too expensive for X material might be because I'm saving on Y material, you know, those yeah. kind of things. Because I'm, I'm thinking about one in particular. I was just recently asked if uh, we would consider a specific manufacturer as a as a proof alternate for it. And one of the things that I was thinking about is that you know they are an alternate for the overall material, but they actually require some additional structuring and some backup framing that this particular company doesn't require. And so at the end of the day. If you went towards that comp, you know the the basis of design company, you're saving yourself pulling in another trade to work on you know the same area. You're adding additional time and cost for backup structures and and things like that. And and so now you know like you know it's more time, more labor, more cost mm. at the end at the end of the day. Looking at the you know at at face value, you know one may be more expensive than the other, but with the time and labor that was spent on or saved on, you know, using the base of design versus the alternate that they're asking about. And that's how I, you know, phrased it when I was talking to him, I'm like, you can, however, the way that we designed it was to, you know, not have all of the backup stud work and things like that. If you do that, you're going to have to have them go and engineer all of the backup stud work and stuff. And then that's free, know, right? go through, <laughs> exactly exactly and then you know you've got this and then you've got that you know and i just started labeling th you know like running things down and they're like oh oh i just thought it was a one for one like mm. it really isn't yeah yeah that's tough these are the kinds of things that nobody ever expects to have to deal with being an architect <laughs> right. because they don't talk about even talk about this stuff let alone train for it in school i, I right so much of this is is about communication and details and i don't mean like detailed drawings but just the details of all right. of this stuff right. there it is such a deep 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 problem and and the relationship you know kind of going back big picture here between architects and manufacturers is so messed up but at the same time if it was good it could be so good right because i mean you have to recognize the fact that all of our buildings that we design that our clients pay for are made out of the stuff that they make mm -hmm. all of it, hundred percent of it. And, yeah. and so that, that to me is the most alarming piece of this messed up relationship between various architects and manufacturers. Like, obviously there are some good ones there. There are sales reps for manufacturers. There are manufacturers who care a lot about architecture and design, who care a lot about getting those details, right. Who getting you what you need when you need it. And then there's, 
the majority of them that don't, right? Who are just kind of going through the motions of of you know, it's just a job to them. It's not they're not providing a service that that has right. a lot of meaning to it. So try there's a lot to fix there for a lot of benefit. I this that's why Agreed. to me this is a problem worth solving, even though it's not a sexy problem worth solving. This is not generative design. This is not something that's gonna but but it can make a real building out of real stuff that you could use those tools to create. And so it kind of goes back to fundamentals of mm-hmm. the way that we make architecture and the process that drives how we make architecture and getting our design intent actually built. There, it's, it is really fundamental to all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, again, like going back to the, the way that the reaction is like, oh my gosh, you left this to do that. Or <laughs> I can't, that that's crazy. Big change, you know, things like that. I, yeah, it is, but it isn't. I mean, I think that these are the kinds of problems I was trying to solve internal to a firm as well right. and not specific right. with architects to manufacturers. Not, I'm not trying to say that, but I'm trying to say like fundamental ways of working are broken right. people. <laughs> and so now I'm just trying to figure out ways to get people to pay attention to that because we can make things better if people are willing to go along this journey with us. Like I can't make you do it. Right. So I'm looking for people who want to do it. Right. Number one, but also like, what are the ways to get people to pay attention to to actually step back and get that broader perspective? Like, yeah, why is it like that, and why do we put up with that? And so, how can we make it better? I think that that's a a, a battle that I've been trying to fight for for years now, and it is that is the hardest part because that's change management. That is getting the mind share. That is getting people inspired to want to change and not just stay inside there their lane with their blinders on because the the project deadline demands it, you know, that's a tough, exactly. that's the hard part for sure. Yeah. So there we are. I don't know. Um, that's what I'm working on mostly is just, <laughs> it sucks, but you're like wordsmithing stuff. You're trying to keep it short. People have a short attention span. They don't have extra time. A lot of people don't want to take the time to learn something new to get better. They'd rather right. just, do right. it the way that they've always done. Well, it, so. you know, I've always been doing it this way. Yeah, <laughs> I'll stick. I'll stick to my uh, Excel and Word and the way that I do this and that. And I'm like, you know, there is something easier and different that you can do. Yeah, yeah, but I don't have the time to learn. Yeah, <laughs> but you, but you have the time to, you know, stick in some archaic way of doing things and and constantly doing that and you know complaining about how long it's taking you to do that when mm-hmm. you could do it this way. Spend a little bit of time learning, but then the rest of your life, you've got back all of that time that you would otherwise have stayed in the drudgery. Yeah. And what's interesting is I don't, I don't think people necessarily, they're not like trying to be stubborn about that, but no, this is, this is back to that slide that always gets the laughs in my presentation when it says there's two things that architects hate, the way things are and change. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Stuck in the middle. Here we are. People want to change, but they don't want to change. No, they want to advocate for change. They want to advocate for... They want to talk about change. Exactly. They don't want you know, to actually it's, it's, do it. Exactly. It's like, you know, we'll, we'll yeah, change. We got to do change, 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 change. Well, what have you done to change? Nothing. <laughs> yeah. All right, then. And I guess you just uh, lip service to the change. Well, you know, and it's... Uh... Like the whole idea behind computing and stuff was to make 
make it easier, right? <laughs> Rosie the robot yeah. on the Jetsons, like she's she she it is doing the cleaning, it is doing the the food, it is doing you know. There's another machine actually that just makes the food. But right. I always thought it was funny that you know Rosie the robots just like doing the housekeeping and stuff. And yeah. but but like that's the promise of computing. The promise of computing was doing the heavy lifting, right? And mm-hmm. and what it's actually done is just provided a mechanism to go into way more levels of detail than our nobody that anybody thought was possible, right? So or, or sometimes even care about. <laughs> so AutoCAD made it so anybody could draw a technical drawing, right? Democratized it away from the mm-hmm. artistry of of laying out sheets and line weights and all that stuff and democratized that. And it gave you infinite zoom, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which didn't exist on paper. So now we can zoom in and we can draw every screw with every thread with with all the chamfers and everything in the detail that holds the you know the fastener that holds the the flashing onto the into the masonry or whatever and it's like right yeah but and so the same thing has happened with trying to find crap for your buildings find the components find find all these things for your buildings it's like the internet is global it's mm-hmm. and it's totally unfocused and full of distraction and all of these things and it's like that's the same problem as infinite zoom, right? <laughs> uh, I, you know, funny enough when you say that, that is, you know, I remember somebody coming to me and saying, you know, hey, that handrail, you know, gl- you know that gl- all glass handrail shoe that you were looking for, what if we use this one? This one seems to like fit the bill of what you were talking about. And like, well, you know, show me some of the information about it. And so they pull up the technical data and it's all in German and it's all in, you know, metric and everything else. And I'm like, well, is it available in the States? I mean, you know, can we get this? And they're like, no, 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 no. I just figured that, you know, this looked like, you know, something that you were talking about. Like, yes, but if we can't get it here, then why are we talking about it? Yeah. And, and And there you go. That's exactly what people are dealing with all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, but you know, they're going to draw it to the nines or it's already been drawn to oh, the nines. So yeah. You're going to cut and paste that in there and you're going to say, or approved equal. You're going to do all yeah. that work and guess what it's, you're going to get? <laughs> you're not going to, you're not going to get anything close to what you were thinking yeah. and you were going to get because they just don't make it here. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Again, the stuff they don't teach you in school, but, exactly. but it's interesting to think about, I don't know if this is still part of this episode or not, but it's, it's interesting to think about, you know, BIM in this context because it gives people the ability to get lost in those crazy details. And the whole idea of digital twin is you're going to have this digital representation. Like this is a, a new buzzword in the industry, new-ish. And you're going to have this digital representation of the physical environment. And that's going to be a, a highly intelligent model. It's going to have all of the sensor data that's being picked up in the real world applied to the digital world. And you're going to be able to then take that and run simulations in the digital world and see how they play out. And if it's acceptable, then you can, you know, actually do that in the physical world and have some clue as to whether it's going to work or not. So, you know, that always use the example of, you know, number of stations or number of conference rooms at various sizes. And it's like, well, obviously, you know, you built it one way and now we watch the behavior of the people and we say, okay, well, 
we have all these eight-person conference rooms, but they're always being used by two people. Right? So we, tip, we, we really don't need eight-person conference rooms. We really need two-person conference rooms. Well, instead of going through the capital expense of doing that, you run it in a simulation first is the idea. And then you simulate behavior based on actual behavior. So then you can actually say, well, are these spaces being occupied more over time? Are they more useful, et cetera, et cetera? And then if it proves to, in there, in the digital world, to be like, yeah, that seems like it works. Okay, now we can validate whether it's going to work in the physical world. Let's go now build it out and spend the money to do it because it worked. Right. But, okay, the big but to me here is that traditional architectural deliverables are, deliverables are based on representation. They're an abstraction of reality. They are looser by definition than reality, right? When we draw buildings and we draw walls, we don't draw where all the studs are, right? We don't draw where all the fasteners are. Right, right. We, because because why, why go through... But, but that, so, so you can see what I'm saying is these two things are at odds with each other. It's like mm-hmm. the digital twin must Absolutely. be an exact replica and it must have where all the piping is and where all the studs are. And so, you know, we, if something breaks, we know where to go to fix it and et cetera, et cetera. We know all the model numbers, we know how they're performing, but, but the drawing deliverables were not made for that intent. And yet right. there's, there's different entities going straight to owners and saying, this is what you're going to need. The architects are already doing some of that work. Make them do all of it. Or And there's some architects who are like, we want to do all of it. We want to do level 500 BIM or whatever. And again, those two things are completely at odds from each other. And not only that, but like when a change is made late in the process, it screws everything up, as we all know, right? So right, right. you've got to redraw all that detail as far mm-hmm. as it ripples out. Man, what a mess. What a total mess. And it- in there, in your absorbing all of that liability to design things to the nth degree. Well, you're also and setting a precedent, quite, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Oh well, if you did it, then you can do it again, right? So, but then you know, I mean, is our knowledge that vast where we understand how multiple different manufacturers work together with one another? I mean. You know, and there is was that a, where our expertise should be placed, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's we, a, we talk it's about tricky. means and methods for a reason, right? Right. <laughs> you right. sent right. you sent me that photo, right, of that detail of how to drive a nail, <laughs> and it's like hold yeah. nail here, repeatedly strike, and and it's you know this this image is pretty funny, right? It's a tongue in cheek detail, right. but it's like no, fail, instant fail, means and methods, you can't do that. All you can exactly. do is show the nail already put in the right place. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you can't say how to do it. But that totally makes sense, right? I think that totally makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Don't tell them how to do it. Show them what you want and then work together through that process to make sure that you actually do get what you want. And and it is impossible. That's why this is a practice. It is impossible to know like all the sequencing and to know... Like that that's infuriating, right? Is to is to find out later that you've designed something that actually can't be built because of the sequencing. Because you're not taking that into account. So then that makes the argument for these people like, well, take all that into account and build the model with all the correct phasing. And and it's like it's totally rewriting the purpose of these deliverables and it's not creating it's creating extra value for the process, but not for the outcome necessarily. Right. Right. 
Right. And architecture is more about the outcomes than the process. It should be. The value proposition is in the outcome and the performance of the space and not in the drawing set. But architects tend to, you know, we've pigeonholed ourselves into being the ones who are trying to compete on the drawing side of things instead of on the output side of things. Mm -hmm. And that's a gross generalization. But, I mean, it's mostly true, right? It's pretty damned accurate. Yeah, that's a, it is a stuck, stuck between the rock and the hard place. Well, you know, I mean, a lot of times it's our ego that gets in the way. It's just like, oh, of course we know how to do this. Of course we know how to do that. Like, you know what? Sometimes it's okay for you not to know how to do that, but at least let them know what is, a, like you said, what's the outcome? We want to know what the outcome is. Not every time do we need to know what the process is or the sequencing or whatever. Because, I mean, that's just not where our expertise should be. Right. Our, our expertise should be in that exactly what you said, the final, the final solution, the final output, the final, you know, whatever. Yeah, the intent of, of that, of that performance. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if we start to mandate where every, you know, nail and screw and everything else is, and if something, you know, we if it's beyond our forte and, you know, it's like, oh, well, the nailing pattern should have been this because of the type of engineering that needed to go into some header beam or something like that and we didn't draw it that way because you know that's not what we do and it fails but we assume that liability then by drawing it yeah exactly Mm -hmm. then it's on us hey we built we drew we built it exactly the way the architect drew it well the architect shouldn't have been drawing the damn thing Mm. That's what that note C structural engineering documents is all about. <laughs> That's the catch all C structural. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They love to pepper it all over their drawings. I mean, we need to throw it back at them too. Oh, it's a, it's interesting to see how messed up it all is, isn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's a hard problem. It's a hard problem to fix. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how you fix it. I can't, can't even, I can't think that big. Well, I mean, the good thing is, is that, you know, you guys are looking at it as a way to fix communication and fixing communication, hopefully will be the start of the conversation for these bigger and bigger and bigger problems. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what architects do, right? Is, I mean, that's what documents are is communication. So the more accurate that communication can be, the better that that communication can be, it does seem hopeful.